Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. People don't fail in this business. They quit. Work as hard as you can and and take chances. If you want to do whatever you want to do, go out and find out how to do it and do those things. Learn how to do it. Take classes. Uh, take workshops. And, and don't feel any sort of doubt. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Very excited to have you back. Everybody, thank you so much for all your support. Incredible. I'm so grateful to all of you, truly. And I'm happy we got Eric Griffin back for part two. You're going to love this guy. If you've been listening to the show, thank you, thank you, thank you for all your support and those newcomers. Thank you for showing up, and I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. Going back to the Montreal Just for Laughs Festival, if you're out there during that time, at the last week of July, I'm there July 27th at 1.30 p.m. for a live podcast with blackish creator Kenya Barris. It should be pretty incredible. You can get tickets at hahaha.com, and I'd love to see you there if you're in the area. And if you're in Boston, the first week of September on that Sunday, I'm also at Laugh Boston and going to have a great live podcast there as well. And I look forward to seeing you and you can check that out at the Boston Comedy Festival website. And as you know, as I look at my guest, I always say something that hopefully has some kind of relevance to this business. And one of the things about Eric Griffin that I look at that's so rare is I'm looking at a guy who essentially makes as much money doing live performances in clubs and theaters and around the country as he does doing film and television. And that's a very rare thing. It's a balance. It's like a baseball player. You got offense and defense. The best players are equally great at both things. And in every facet of life, normally, the key is to try to be great in your personal life 
and be extraordinary in your professional life. There's always at least two sides to everything. Look, if you're Alec Baldwin, there are seven sides to everything. Because Alec Baldwin is a man who is great at every single facet of everything that's possible in this business. But for the most part in the business that we're talking about, but also every business out there, if you can be great at two things in your business, that's fantastic, equally great. And if you can be great at many more things within your business, well, you're going to move up. You're always going to move up. In Eric Griffin's business of comedy, how many people can you name that are doing film and television series and doing stand-up who aren't successful? I don't think you can name any. And so in all jobs, in everything that's out there and everybody listening in the world that thinks about how to get better, how to rise, how to create a situation where people take notice. Just keep mastering new skill sets within your area of expertise and you will rise and you will grow and you'll become more well-known in your field and you will take things to the highest levels and you'll have the possibility of having the kind of career that Eric Griffin has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and Seaman. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Uh, undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. I talked about you training your instrument, and I do study you. I know you're shocked by that. But I, I am. I, at, I very much am. <laughs> I do look at things when you're in the club, and I'm always blown away by a comedian who started as a comedian and has become an actor who is very, very much above average, who's very much better than very good, who borders on extraordinary at certain times. Oh. And so you know all the actors you work yes. with. Yes. Okay? So there's one actor who prepares the most, and there's one actor who prepares the least, and there's everything <laughs> in between. And yes. you're there with them all, and you know which ones they are, and you know which one you are. My guess is, is that you are extremely prepared. There's probably only one person who's going toe-to-toe with you. I've, if you're talking about, like, with Melissa Leo, I have learned a lot from Melissa. My, our, and I connected with her from the moment I met her. She would come to me and be, like, at my ear at weird times on the set or, like, in a makeup chair and just to tell me little tidbits, you know, like, hey, hey don't, don't, don't do this or let, let the director, let fight for what you want after the director tells you this. It was as if, it was as if she herself saw something f- in me and it really, it really, and I'm a sponge for that kind of stuff, you know? And so, 
you know, I'm thankful for this time. And I and I actually and I I think that the dramatic acting for a comic is actually easier than it is the comedic acting. Tell you me. know, and I and I know what it is though. Our tendency is to, our tendency is that what we're doing in this moment has to be funny to us. This I need to feel like this is funny. And if it doesn't feel funny, I'm gonna do things to make it funny. And those things that you're doing sometimes are over the top in a dramatic situation or they're even over the top in a comedic situation. You don't need to be so big in, in what you're doing. But, but as inside yourself, you're thinking, well, now I feel like I'm being funny. What I've learned is you don't have to feel that things are funny for the people watching you to think that it's funny. And that's your job. That's that's your job as an actor, as a performer. You don't have to, and I realize that even with stand up now. Now I even realize it there, that I don't necessarily have to be feeling something, but the audience has to think I'm feeling something, and that's why the two things to me are very similar: acting and stand up. She does that because she sees something in you that she doesn't see necessarily maybe in some of the other people. That doesn't mean they're bad at what they do, but she just sees something that she feels could become great. And sometimes in professions, you don't get somebody stepping up. She saw my inexperience, but saw the rawness and being like, well, if you just did this one thing, this might help you. And I, and I think that it did, you know, and I think that, you know, I, I think that without one or the other, I wouldn't be able to do either one well. You know, I think the acting helps the stand up and the stand up helps the acting because I don't mind being vulnerable. I don't mind. I always tell I always feel like I'm a kamikaze when it comes to that. I'll take I'll burn the whole thing down, including myself emotionally, you know. So it's like just being open to that is what I learned from this. And I really it's been a rewarding experience working on I'm dying up here. It really has. If you were running the show, how would you. Do it differently. I would have less characters. I would I would definitely have less characters to raise the stakes. I would have either decided from the jump that it's going to be a drama, or or make it more make it funnier, lighter, you know. But it would be less characters, and I would center on one person. Does it surprise you that Jim Carrey essentially used the entire? aura of the comedy store and the whole aura of Mitzi and the whole dynamic of the comedians that he grew up with and saw there, but never went to the comedy store and did it as the comedy store. I, I think that he just didn't want to deal with all that that would entail. Like better to make a fictional place and do whatever you need to do. It's like, you know, it's, you know, it's like when you're portraying someone, like if someone's doing a movie about, you know, if someone's doing a biopic pick about say Dane Cook, you know, and then your character's in there, there's a Barry Katz character. You would then, you would have, they would have to come to you and be like, yo Barry, we want to say this. And then you would have the say in saying yes or no to that. Sometimes you don't want to deal with that. You just want to portray. So it's better to have a character called, you know, Barry Lungberg, but you know, it's you. And we can make that guy a dick. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that's why they do that. I just, I personally think that they, he just didn't want to have to deal with having to get an okay on everything about that. It was just, it's more like an homage to the error. You know, it's like the comedy store exists in our world. There's a comedy store in our world. So this is just like we're just taking a little bit of that and, and a little bit of other things and just making this fictional place to show this is what the struggle might have been like in the 70s. And in your physical stature, You've decided to be physically, even though you said from the very beginning, I never want to be the guy who looked like that. I couldn't get the girls or whatever. Yet you're still in a situation where 
physically and health-wise and exercise-wise and diet-wise, you're living an ordinary existence when your mind is an extraordinary existence. Why is that that you can train the mind to increase the craft of acting and stand-up but you can't train the mind to work on the body. I, I think I just I think I just ignore it. I, you just get satisfied. I think as I got older too, I was just like, uh, it's so hard to do those other things. Like it's like it, it would be like having to work on both seemed seemed overwhelming, you know. And I've had my time. I've had times when like there was like a year I was vegan and I was like working out and I got in shape. And then once you stop, I realized oh I have to keep doing this all the time. Every single day, it has to become a lifestyle, and I just haven't got myself to the point where I want this to be. I want this to be a thing. But it's funny that you say that. It's something I've been I've been working on now. I just started boxing. I just started going to a boxing gym, and and then I'm trying to like I'm I'm slowly going to start working on my diet, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna get there. And then it didn't help that like they wanted me to be kind of chubby on I'm dying up here, so that was like a way to cop out. That's a good excuse where it's like, oh well, you know, I'm 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 fat on the show. <laughs> you know what I mean? So now I'm. Um, I'm realizing even more so as I get older. I'm like, you know, I gotta, I gotta get this together. Or I don't want to, I don't want to like not die because I'm like, you know. You said the word fat. Mm-hmm. And do you look at yourself as fat? I look. I didn't look at myself as fat until I saw until I look at myself next to other people. Say when I'm on the show and I'm looking, I'm rewatching the show and I'm going, oh yeah, I'm bigger than everybody. You know, I'm 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 really Hollywood fat for sure. You know what I mean? I'm not. I'm not going to be, you know, jumping out of a tank with a with a AK-47, like you know. How many heavy set comedians do you know that live into their 60s, 70s, I know. and 80s? That's what I'm saying. Do you want to live? Yeah, I do. I'm. I'm. That's why. Again, I just started boxing. <laughs> Is it because you're in a situation where people find you attractive because you're a great sense of humor, you're a great actor, so you can go out with anybody you want? Yeah, like my girlfriend's gorgeous. You know what yeah. I mean? And I know that she. I know she's with me because of that stuff. She's with you because of your mind. Yeah, yeah, she's with me. Yeah, I could tell. I know why. My girlfriend told me we're laying in bed the other day, and she said, "You know." When I was 22, I never would have been in bed with you like this. That's what she said. And I said, hey, if you were 22, I would have already kicked you out of my bed. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, I know what you're saying, though, man. I do. And I do appreciate where it's coming from, what you're saying to me right now. And I do. And I am, you know, it's like you think you're going to be okay. You know, my my, my blood pressure is great. And there's some things that, you know, I just go, I'm all right. When every time I go to the doctor, the doctor's surprised. He's like, whoa. That's because I spend money on things. I get massages all the time, which helps my circulation. I'm not comparing you to this person at all. So please don't think I am. But what you just said, just hit me like a ton of bricks because one of the last things I heard Ralphie May say was, my blood pressure is great. I don't think it was. <laughs> I think he knew. I think I remember seeing Ralphie a long time ago and rest in peace to him too. You know, it was sad. Um, but even somebody that, like, look, uh, I don't know if you ever knew Siddiqui Fuller. Mm-hmm. You know, Siddiqui was a comic and he was in great shape. And he had something, I think he had a stomach issue or something, and he just recently died. You know, and he was like around my age, he's in his 40s, and he was like doing backflips on stage. So you never know when it's going to hit you. But like, yes, there is a pattern of behavior that lends itself to this isn't going to last for a long time. But this thing, I don't drink, I don't do drugs. Never? Never. I always thought that part of the message in The Ugly Truth was about addiction and what can happen, even though it's not necessarily talked about. I thought that part of the underlying thing was not just the ugly truth about what happens in the world, 
but the ugly truth about the profession that you work with people who are addicts who've lost control and you can't figure it out and you've never been that guy i've never been that guy but, but you've been around i've you. been around it yes i have and it was it, and it was in it was in high school that i made the choice i was like oh, i'm never gonna drink you know i for one i like being in control of my thoughts i don't like seeing people like where they're out of control and i just i i, I didn't get the appeal you know i'm not a weed guy even though a lot of people smoke weed and they'll fight for it. They'll say, you know, this, this is better for you and all these things they say. It's just not for me. What do you do when you're around somebody who you love, who's in our profession, and they come into the comedy store and you know, are you the kind of guy who takes them aside and says, look, please cut the shit? What I've learned, though, is that, you know, because I've been around people a long time, it doesn't mean we're friends. It doesn't mean we're close. You know, I, I always find like, say like the comedy store is like working at a super Walmart, you know, we just work together. We work a lot of hours together, but we're not friends. And I noticed that I know that this now because major events have happened in comics lives. Like, like for instance, if a comic doesn't invite you to their wedding, you know that you're not close with that person, you know? Uh, when they have a baby and you're not told about it, or I'm, I'm just saying, these are these are people that I've traveled with, I've I've been on the road with, I've been I've gone through the trenches with some people, and then and they got married, and I was like, oh, I wasn't invited to that. Oh, I guess we're not really friends, and that's okay. So yes, I do see people, and so I know now that people have private lives, and do I want to save every single person? Yes. There's a few comics I know now. I'm not going to say their names who I think drink too much. And I want to say something, but at the same time, like, it's not my place, you know? And maybe I should be more active. Maybe I feel like I get, who are close to these people and be like, yo, this guy's got a problem. Maybe we should do something. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Hey everybody, I wanna tell you about a great product called Boku Superfoods. I just got back from Ohio and met with the owners of the company and I was just incredibly blown away by it. They have the purest, most potent, and delicious superfood blends on the planet. It's just in these incredible powders where you just add any liquid you want, water, make smoothies. It's just so good and so healthy. Certified organic, kosher, and vegan, Boku Superfood is changing the game for 
thousands of people all over the world. And I'm confident it will change your life. So much so that I worked out an unbelievable deal with the owners. You'll be able to get a full week's worth of Boku Superfood for free. All you got to do is pay minimal shipping and you can join the Boku Love Life loyalty team. Just go to tryboku.com and experience the difference of how it makes you look and feel. And you will understand why Boku is the number one family-owned superfood company in the world. One of the things that I know you've talked about in your stand-up, and I wondered if it carried over into this part of the business, is that you're not here to change the world. Exactly. Well, the only reason why I say that is because I find that the comedy comedy business and specials have turned into like, you know, people in their pseudo intellectual attitudes about, you know, whatever politics, religion. And they're trying to, you know, I'm going to change the world with what I have to say right now. And I think that we've forgotten to be entertaining. I think that that's something we've forgotten. And I think the reason why I did The Ugly Truth, I I wanted it to be, hey, this is just me being funny. I've been working on this material for 10 years on the road, and I got my break. And then here, I want to show you what I do when I go out into the clubs. I just want to be a funny guy. But this new one, American Warrior, which comes out June 8th, 10 p.m., showtime, I wanted to be like, hey, I'm a funny guy, and I also have some opinions about some things. And here's my funny way, my funny take on some of these things. And so I don't know if I'm going to change the world or if I'm just going to have people agree or disagree, but I want them to do that with laughter. You know how people sometimes in interviews, they say this cliche question. When you came over here, what was the music in your iPad? If theoretically there could be comedians routine which comedian would be in your iphone driving on the way over here man that's a that's a tough one you know sometimes i listen to the serious station like the legend station with the comics i always tell every comic you should listen to this station for a day because then you're going to realize how unoriginal you really are you know um i don't know who it would be you know i don't know who it would be because i like so many different types of comedy you know, I can listen to George Carlin for a while just to be like thinking of my, damn, this guy really knows how to express himself, you know. But then uh, at the same time, I want to hear, I like how, you know, Sinbad is just completely clean. And then at the same time, so expressive and, you know, so I don't know if I would have one person in, you know. if I, I guess if I had to pick one person, it would probably be Chris Rock. I would listen to all his specials because he's so uncomfortable. Like you could tell how uncomfortable he is. And I like that. He's talking about some hard subject, and you can just tell, like, people think he's so confident, and I don't see that. And when he, when he stomps around the stage and how he does his fingers and he doesn't look at the, you know, he doesn't, you know, he, just, he doesn't make that kind of eye contact. He's got this weird vibe on stage, but he, it's because he's powering through it, and I can really respect that. Tell me your greatest holy shit moment story that would be the highlight of your book when you write it. <laughs> um. It was when I was at the comedy store and I, and then this guy attacked me. Um, Nick Kroll's on stage and there's a heckler and he's going in. And then Nick's having a little bit of trouble with dealing with him only because the guy was this, he just had a menace in his voice, you know, and he just was being loud and boisterous and they wouldn't tell him to shut up because there's really no security at the comedy store. So I go up next, you know, Nick brings me up and then this guy, he starts going in with me and I wasn't going to have it. You know, so I 
it's my own fault. I got what I asked for because I was going at him, saying things that would goad any man into like, you know, to physical, you know, to, to the physical. And he did. He ran through the middle of the stage, picked up a chair. He threw a chair at me. You know, then I'm not a fighter. I blanked out and I threw the chair back. You know, then somebody comes and grabs him and I punched a guy in the face and then I punched him in the face again. And uh, they they dragging him out. And then I jump off stage, and I'm like thinking I'm like you know John John Claude Van Damme all of a sudden. I'm like let me at him. And then Nick did you Yusuf do the splits on the countertop. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I did a front flip into a <laughs> into a, a crouching tiger. And then um, Nick Yusuf, a comic at the comedy store, he grabs me from behind and he yells in my ear, "It's not worth it. It's not worth it." And at that moment, I snapped out of it. I was like, what am I doing? Like, what was I going to do? Chase this guy? So then I look around and instantly my instincts kicked in. I was like, oh my God, I'm ruining the show. The waitresses aren't going to be able to get their money. There's other comics on the show. Uh, this is the comedy store. I don't want people to think that, uh, this, I swear to God, this is all the things that went through my head. Then I run back on stage, I grab the mic, and I go, everybody sit down, in my best dean of students voice. Then everybody kind of sat, everybody sat down. And then I started talking about, like, how'd you guys let that guy come through the whole crowd? Nobody had my back? You know, and I just started talking about that. And then I went into my material, and I finished my set. First time I got a standing ovation at the comedy store. I want to go way, way back. Take us Uh-oh. back to where you grew up, the socioeconomic dynamic, and what was your first inspiration to getting into this crazy business? I think the first inspiration, well, first of all, I'm from L.A., single parent home, but my mom, I was always middle class. I was always bougie. You know, Did you we, know your dad? I never knew my dad. You never met your dad? Never met my dad. And you never wanted to go try to meet him? I wanted to once. I talked to my mom about it, and she was very much like, I raised you! You know, she there was, there was like some kickback to it. But she still gave me his name, and then she was like, if you want to, you do it on your own. I Two weeks later, I had forgotten the name, and then it wasn't important to me anymore. So I knew it wasn't important, so I didn't worry about it. But, you know, my mom always did things for me when I was seven years old. She took me to London, Paris, and Rome on a tour. She wanted me to she wanted me to be, like, worldly and listen to different types of music. And she sent me to private school. She busted her ass, you know, um, to work hard. And so I never I never wanted for anything when I was a kid. So, I, and I lived in, like I said, I lived, I lived ghetto adjacent. You know, I, I was, like, right off Pico, like, one block over. You know, it was a bad neighborhood. But I lived in, like, the, the neighborhood that we thought we lived in a good neighborhood. So if you think you do, you do. Um, you know, and then I just, I was always a funny guy. It was in, it was in like, you know, fourth or fifth grade that I- to avoid getting beaten up? Yeah, funny, like, you know, just just how I dealt with things. You know, just, I would say things out loud. Uh, my, my, that's how my mind worked. I would make up, like, what, what if scenarios, and I would say them out loud to my friends, and then they would laugh. And then I remember my mom always says to me, she asked me when I was really young, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said I wanted to be a comedian. And I don't remember saying that. I don't remember it, you know? And here I am as a comedian. And that was, that was it for me. It was like, I always, like, Benny Hill- I remember watching Benny Hill and being like... For those of you in the audience that don't know Benny Hill, Benny Hill was the probably the equivalent to what you would think of as Mr. Bean, Rowan Atkinson, a character that but never spoke. way more perverted. Like, Benny Hill couldn't be on the air right now. Can you imagine if Benny Hill was on the air right yeah, now? Yeah. An old pervert guy chasing after a woman? But yeah. Benny Hill was something that I, I just remember cracking up at anything that was hilarious. Even in commercials. My mom would tell me that I'd be crying and acting up, and then a funny commercial would come on, and I would stop and look at it. So I was always prone to like you know, th- that, that bug of being like making people laugh. 
But the first time you decided to go on stage was not in Los Angeles. It was. It was in Los Angeles. Yeah, I decided. I I, I went to a comedy class because my mom's supportive. She wanted in you know, if I told my mom I wanted to be a, I wanted to you know sail a boat, then she would find a way to get me you know rent a boat and send me on a class. You know, she was she wanted me to be successful. She wanted me to find something that I was passionate about and do it. Um, so like I went to a UCLA extension class, you know, stand up comedy one one and I did the class and then the, the showcase was at the comedy store. Actually, the, the graduation was in the OR. The first time I ever did comedy was in the OR original room at the comedy store. That was the first time I ever did comedy and I, and I was hooked ever since. How'd you do? I did great. You know, I did, I, you know, but it's a comfortable How did environment you do compared to your classmates. Um, I think we, I think everybody did pretty good. You know, yeah. I, I knew I was the best, you know what I mean? <laughs> I just, but I always feel like that anyway. I have to feel like that. I think there's, a, I think there's a level of delusion. Why did I think one of your first paid gig was somewhere in Montana or something? My first, that was my first paid gig. My first out of town paid gig was in Montana. It was in uh, Helena, Montana, for working for Tribble, Dave Tribble, the Tribble runs. I had to fly to, I had to fly to Utah to work with the headliner, uh, this guy named Scott Bennett. You know, and he, 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 his license was suspended. <laughs> so I had to drive everywhere in his car. He, we filled the car to the brim with all his stuff. He was a piano comic too, and he had a dog with him. So we got this dog and all this stuff in the car, and we're driving from Utah to Helena, Montana. It's snowing. And we get there, we're at the Holiday Inn, and, and, and the show's in the Holiday Inn. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, this is great. I was so excited about it. You know, we go into the Holiday Inn, and the show's in a bar. There's like 12 people at the show. I'm thinking, okay, maybe it's going to fill up. You know, we get down there again. It's the 17 people. And the guy brings me on stage. Oh, this guy's from L.A., right? Yeah, his name's Eric. You know, don't forget to sign up for the dart tournament and all this stuff. He brings me on stage in front of this rowdy bar crowd who were looking at me like, who the hell is this guy in Montana? They didn't know what I was either. They tried to like, you know, he's racially ambiguous, you know? <laughs> and then I just did my set. I had to do 30 minutes. I've never done 30 minutes before. I didn't even know if I could do it, but it was the greatest thing ever. And I was like, wow, I'm making it. Look at me out here for this $100. Now, one of the things that I remember with you is that the moment that you really felt like you made it was when you got off the plane at the airport. Oh yeah. I'll never yeah, I felt like I made it when I when I saw someone holding a sign that said Eric Griffin on it. Like I knew I was like, "Oh man, look at look at that." I was so excited. I was coming down the escalator at the airport in Phoenix, and I saw the guy standing there, and he had the thing, he had a black suit on and the thing that said Eric Griffin, and I was like, "That's me. That is me." And I was like, "I made it." But since then I think, how how crazy is that, right? What does making it even really mean? Hey, everybody. I know I've talked a lot on this show about AquaTrue, the countertop water purification system that's literally a miniature water cooler purifier that's on your counter. It's only about maybe 10 to 12 inches high and maybe 10 to 12 inches wide in this triangle. It's this amazingly efficient piece of equipment that sits right on your counter. It has a nice pitcher. It has a press button where the water comes out and it gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. You just put your tap water in there and it purifies. It takes out all the bad chemicals, everything out, 
and gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine that would cost you hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of dollars each year from buying bottled water in the store where the plastic containers hurt the environment. It's just so much easier, so much better. And this product is amazing. I have one, everyone who comes over, everyone who uses it, they order one. And you should too, I'm telling you, it's incredible. And if you act now, you can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code Barry, that's B-A-R-R-Y. And you'll immediately get the huge discount and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had. Industrystandardwater.com, promo code Barry. And you'll never, ever waste another dollar buying another bottle of water for your home again. One, two, six degrees of separation. Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention some names. Okay, let's hear it. And you can tell me whatever comes to mind. It could be a word. It could be a sentence. It could be a little story. It could be anything. Judd Apatow. Judd Apatow. It's. I think it's weird to see Judd out here doing comedy now. You know, I think it's like every time I. Every time, like one time, he brought me up at the comedy store, and I thought, man, this is weird having Judd Apatow here. It's like if you worked at McDonald's. And you looked over, and Ronald McDonald was making fries. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd be like, Ronald, what are you doing down here <laughs> in the restaurant? And he's like, hey, you know, just <laughs> just want to check this out, you know? So it's like, hey, he's like, to be such a giant name in comedy and to be like down on the ground floor is uh, it's very, it's very interesting. Melissa Leo. A mentor. You know, I, I would think of it like that, you know, and just and also a cautionary tale of someone that is just so emotionally invested. I don't know if I want to be like that. A man who once told me that nothing in his career ever happened unless he was at a comedy club. Neil Brennan. Oh, I love Neil. Uh, he's just uh, I, I've been on his um, Neil. Neil is man. What what are, what are emotional emotional guy though he's like a real emotional guy he's got a lot of stuff going on right people don't think so but the tenth he, of ten children yeah man he's just he's got that thing about him all times and I can always feel Neil's trust issues you know I think I always see him as somebody that just doesn't trust that many people you know and it's, and for him to go on stage and be as vulnerable as he tries to be you know there's still something missing there sometimes that I you know and I and I I, I feel for him he's made a, he's really made a, a name for himself I wanted him to direct my first special but I don't think I don't know if he's I don't maybe I just think he just didn't want to <laughs> you, you know what I mean so he was busy you know that kind of thing but you know he had directed Al special I didn't even know that till later I was like oh so you can do Al special but you can't do mine but it is what it is I don't take offense to it I mean I, I love Neil Jillian Bell one, I love Jillian. You know, she was on Workaholics. She played Jillian on Workaholics. So just going through that experience, she was one of my dogs in front of, in the trenches. Our our dressing rooms were near each other. I, you know, I was a nobody when I got that show, and I just felt myself grow with her and just seeing her. She's like a sister. You know, we 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 talk about really personal things. So I love Jillian. Arrested Development. 
uh, the, you know, Howard was on uh, um, um, Workaholics. He loves the show. He's a fan of it. So when I got the call, he, he's just a fan of the show. So he, he wanted to do this little homage to Workaholics, a little, little Easter egg about Workaholics so the Workaholics fans would go like, oh, man, it's the guys from Workaholics. And, and then I think the moment that I come in at the end is that moment where you go, ah, here's Montez, too. So I appreciate being a part of that kind of sort of cult hit. Mitzi Shore. Um, you know, Mitzi Shore only said one thing to me my whole life, and it was after I showcased for the second time, because the first time, the first time she didn't even talk to me, didn't even look at me on my first showcase, past Jay Davis the night that I showcased. Like, can you even imagine? Jay Davis, <laughs> the guy on Tourgasm with Gary Gullman, Robert yeah. Kelly, and Dane. Cook. I love Jay. He's one of my, he's such a salt of the earth, but... Don't even get me started. Anyway, I didn't get past that night. And so a year and a half later, I do another showcase. And then she's already, she's ill, but she's coming to do the showcases. And they're walking around. She stops and looks at me and says, you were funny. That's the only thing she's ever said to me. And I always cherish that. Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey is like the, I'll, I'll always thank Jim for, well, first of all, the night that he came to the comedy store, Adam, the manager at the comedy store, says to me, hey, man, I'm about to go on stage, by the way. And he says, hey, Jim Carrey's here. My, my, my dude, my first thought, though, was, is he going to bump me? That was my first thought. My first thought was like, what the hell is he doing here with $100 million still trying to do comedy and bumping people on a Tuesday? I was so mad. You know, and he said, well, I don't think he's going up. And I was like, in my mind, what the hell are you telling me for then? Who cares? I didn't know that he was there scouting comics. And I'm glad I didn't know because I went on with that little bit of anger in me. You know, like, you know, how dare Jim Carrey come here? I'm going to show this fool. <laughs> so I went on and had like a really great set. And then, you know, three weeks later, I was on the show. Was that in the original room or the main room? In the OR, in the original room. Who else went on that night? Um, Andrew went on that night. Um, Andrew Santino. Andrew Santino was on the show. He's a redhead. A bunch of people went on the show. Though. I don't remember. You know, you don't care. You know what I mean? I, I wasn't worried about it. people who went on that night who got the show? Uh, I think Andrew is another person. I think that they- So you two guys. Yeah, I think it's us two that like, we went through the process after that. Are there people that. you run into after that who come up to you and like, I was on that show. <laughs> no, but there's so many people that, 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 um, that come up to you- that are like, oh, man, yeah, I was going out for that part, you know. Comics love to do that, especially for Andrew. Andrew's part, the part of that Bill part. Like every white, you know, angsty, angsty, you know, in-shape comic thought they were going to get that part. You know what I mean? So, so it's, a weird, it's a weird thing. Craig Robinson. Craig Robinson is, it's because, uh, Craig Robinson is one of my best friends. He is one of my best friends, and he, and... We built a friendship because we lived near each other. We just started. We just one day he was like, "Hey, we went to lunch," and then I wasn't acting like I wanted anything. I legitimately wanted to be this guy's friend, and we really became friends over the years. And as I as we became friends, my career started to 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 like jump off. Like Craig used to ask me to take him to the airport. You know, we were at different levels at the time, but I think that we because of how I approached our friendship, I think that made him super comfortable because here's somebody who was really famous and every everybody's trying to get something from you. And I think he just appreciated that I wasn't trying to get anything other than friendship. And so it, um, and he's, he's, he's a great guy. I love Craig. 
Bob's Burgers. Bob's Burgers. So the the Molyneux sisters, they write a lot of the Bob's Burger episodes. So I had recently, I was this was a couple years ago. I'm in I'm in Canada and I get this call that hey, they want you they want you to do this pilot. You're going to be the principal on this ABC pilot with uh, Melanie Griffith, you know? And I was like, "What?" And then, and then yeah, these ladies are a fan. They're fans and they want and so but the, but the network wants you to read you know, they wanted to give me the part. and then ne- So I had to, like, set up my camera and read with them over Skype as I do this audition, and then I got the part. And so then the, the show didn't go, all right? But then, like, maybe six or seven months later, I get a call, hey, you're doing Bob's Burger. And I was like, why did I? I don't, all right. And, and it wasn't until I got to the, it wasn't until I got to the, to record that I see them and I go, oh, this is why I got this, because you guys are fans of mine. But there's some, there are funny, great ladies. Stand-up comedy on college campuses. Oh, okay. You really want to go there? Like there, there is no stand-up comedy on college campuses anymore. You know, you're just you're you're a you're a, a babysitter. If you're a, if you're a true stand-up and you love the art form, when you go to colleges, you need to treat it like a a corporate gig. It's a money grab. You're just going to collect a check because college students are the stupidest, smartest people in the world. They're so in their heads and they're so sensitive and they think they learn one thing. This one thing they learn, they think the whole world is like this. They don't live in the gray area. This colleges, college campuses are so black and white and it's, there's, there's no entertainment value in it. It's the worst. I re, I, I'll still do them because, like I say, it's a money grab, you know? The Saturday Night Live, Lorne Michaels of podcasting, Joe Rogan. <laughs> hey, I just left. I, I did Joe Rogan's podcast earlier. Uh, I'm I, proud that this is half the time that you did that. <laughs> I love Joe. I, I, I wanted to be on his podcast for a long time, and I, it's funny things I've asked him a few times. But he's just one of those guys. You, you got to let him. You got to let him do it. He's got to be the one to be like, "Hey, man, come on my podcast," you know. And we finally did it, and we had a. I was on there for like three hours, uh, you know. So it was it was great. You know, he's 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 a great dude. He's a, a smart, passionate guy. You know, he's not always right, but as long as he believes that he is, he knows how to convey that, and that's and that's important. Someone that can convey their message. Yeah, he's a true dissenter. Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart. I did blunt talk with Patrick Stewart, and that was intimidating. Walking into that table read for the first time, and it was Ed Bagley, Patrick Stewart, Richard Lewis, all these people. And uh, you know, I, I wasn't even listening. I just was like, when, when your part comes, just just try to be as funny as possible. I had met uh, the 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 creator. The creator of the show had uh, come to, uh, when I went to audition. He I auditioned for a series regular part. And I, I didn't, I didn't get it. But he said to me, you know, I think you're, I think I, I'm going to find something for you. So I had this one part. I was in Patrick's, I was in his Sex Anonymous class. I had this one part. I finished it. I'm driving home and I get a call. Hey, they want you to come back because they want you to do one more line so they can set you up to come back. Then the next season, I did uh, six, you know, four or five more episodes, and all my scenes were with Patrick Stewart. And he's just a lovely man. He really is. He's just a giving, generous actor, and he just tells the greatest stories and. You know, he's, he's a warm soul. The cast of Workaholics. I'll always have love in my heart for the cast of Workaholics. And, you know, Adam and I, we go to Clipper games together. We got tickets together. So we're friends. So you're still a Clipper fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the Clippers. I actually like them better now because I think they, they play hard. Listen, when you're a true fan of a team, you want them to play hard and be entertaining. Everything else is a bonus. What if the record's the same? If the No, no, no. I, again... When you go to the game, you want them to play hard 
and be entertaining. Even if they lose, you know that they gave their all. You need to see that. You need to believe that these people are trying to win. And sometimes in the past when you saw them, you saw this like interpersonal things going on on the court or you had like a, you know, like when Vinny Del Negro was the coach or like, you know, it just, you, you, I didn't, Doc Rivers got, gets those guys to play hard, to buy in. And I, and I like that about the team right now. This, that's a star driven league. Stars meaning exceptional athletes. And you need those kind of people. If you don't have a guy like that, you're not going to win. But if you play hard and be entertaining, I'm okay with that. When I go see you perform, I want you to try hard. I want you to be entertaining. Yeah. But I want you to win. I don't want to see you lose up there. I understand. But like, but but here's the thing though. If I'm on a show, if I'm on a show and it's like, it's me, Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to try to be as entertaining as possible as I can. But I might not win for a lot of factors. You know? Who knows what that might be? I just want to take a minute to share another groundbreaking, environmentally sound product with you. It's an unbelievable, revolutionary air purifier that will change the way your home operates and it will make your life so much better. It's like no other product you'll ever find in the world. And I'm talking about the Air Doctor. As you know, air inside our homes can be up to a hundred times more polluted than the air outside. And until now, the only thing that could get rid of all these things in your house that were damaging to you and your family were systems that cost thousands and thousands of dollars. That's why I wanted to talk to you about the Air Doctor and share it with you. It removes everything, dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and so many other contaminants that circulate through your home that cover your walls, floors, and furniture. You can get the Air Doctor right now. It's normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon. But for you guys, for a limited time, I can give you 50% off and save you $300 off the Amazon price. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, Type in the promo code Barry, B-A-R-R-Y, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your house. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code Barry. I have one of these. I'm telling you, it works. It really, really works. So get one now and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air you can ever imagine. It's truly incredible. It works for me, and it'll work for you. Tell me a comedian who you respect in your travels and your trajectory that took you aside when you were least expecting it and said, nice job, man. Uh, funny that you say that. I was at the comedy store one night, and um, I get off stage, and I'm standing in the, fr- in the middle of two of my comic friends, Chris Rock comes out the OR, he sees me, he beelines over to me, and he has a whole conversation with me. He, he said, hey, man, you were really funny. And he was asking, who, what, how, how old are you? Where are you from? Like, you know, and we were having like a full-on like, and it was just a surreal moment because I'm like, this is somebody I truly respect. This is somebody that I never thought would ever watch me or even see me perform. And the fact that he was like, apparently people told me later, yeah, he was him and Spade were there watching you cracking up. And for him to come out and give me that like validation, I, I it's one of the one of, it was a great moment.
You know what wasn't a great moment? What? After that, dealing with the two comics who were staying. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just uh, don't even get me started. Like, whoa, wow. It's like, yeah, hey, guys, just, you know. (laughs) No, but they were cool. Yeah, they were two two friends of mine. So they were like, you know, they knew, they knew the, I'm glad they were there because they knew the importance of it. They knew the significance of it. You know what I mean? I needed that witness. Mark Maron. He's he's a cool dude. I think he's an example of the old guard finding a way to make it in this new media environment, and that's what he did. You know, he made he put podcasting on the map. Really, made it like, oh, this is a viable thing that someone that has an, a strong intellect that can um, use their voice and uh, move people. And he found a way to like you know make a whole new section of comedian you know entertainment for comedians and make it viable video games i'm a total video game guy i got are you worried that you're going to be like david price and have carpal tunnel syndrome i you know what i wear a (laughs) i I wear a thing for that i have to because that was happening to me my wrists and stuff were acting up especially when i started boxing i released i was like oh man i have a problem i had to get a cortisone shot in my uh in this hand because i think it's directly related to video games but i have a girlfriend now and she's not having it so there goes that i have to like pick but moderation they say a woman knows within five minutes of meeting a guy if she's gonna be with him did she know I think she did because, you know, she actually, my girlfriend, Rachel, beautiful. Where'd you meet? She, we met on Instagram. Uh, she was, actually, a funny story about it is. See, social media is good. I know. It's great. F- funny story is she was dating a guy who told her, hey, you should watch this show. I'm dying up here. You know? And so she started watching the show and she said to me, she was like, I was hooked. I loved the show. So then she went on Instagram and Instagram to like say hello to all the cast and like. So she liked like three of my pictures. And when a beautiful woman like this likes your pictures, you're like, whoa, what's going on? So I hit her up. I slid into the DM, like, what's up? And then we started talking. I, I invited her to a show. She came out to the improv to watch a show. And I was now, doing. Now, before you left the house that night, how did you dress? I just normal. So you I, weren't thinking I got to look a little nah, more special. No, nah, because I was already like, she already's a fan of me. You know what I mean? I already got it. You She's know already what I'm a fan of the dad bob. She, yeah, she, yeah, exactly. She, you know what you're getting. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> you know, she obviously likes big dudes, right? So you I went. The, so you didn't wear your spank. No, no, no. I didn't, have, I, I didn't wear my stripes. <laughs> This bastard. You know what I mean? <laughs> so he called me fat three times in the same I'm sentence. I'm just as big as you are. Yeah, yeah. I so, weigh more than you. Probably. probably. So she goes, so I have a bit, I have I have a bit that I do about, you know, women. I'm saying like we're not gonna be friends. So I do I do this material. Did she come alone? No, she brought a dude, which I thought was she great. She brought a guy. Yeah, because she was needed, that the guy she was dating? She, I don't know. She wasn't no 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 no. It was a different guy. And I said to her, because we didn't know each other. She didn't know me. He, you know, so she comes to the show with a date because she needed somebody to buy her drinks. That's what she told me, you know, and I love the honesty of it. She was like, Look, I'm still gonna bring someone because I need somebody to <laughs> So she, I got her the tickets. She came. I didn't. I didn't talk to her after the show, cause, and she's always mad at me. You didn't? No, because she brought a date. I'm not talking. You got another man with you, so that's why that made me a little more aloof. And she didn't no, walk up to you to say hello. Because I, I left right after my set. Cause I had another set. You know, 
I wasn't waiting around. So she DMs you. What did she say? So then we're like, at this point now, we got each other's number. Then we were texting for a week back and forth. And, I, you know, and then like I was I remember it was a Sunday. I was getting off stage and I got a. Uh, she was like, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, and she's like, why don't you come over to Delilah's? You know, and it was like they had a jazz night. So I went over and we sat and we had a great time. Was she alone? No, no, she was with some friends, you know, but actually the guy that was singing that night, he she was a guest of him. You know, but then he invited like a bunch of other girls. So she was like, oh, forget this. Now I'm inviting a guy. So then uh, I'm glad that that happened because then we really started hanging out a lot after that. Because he didn't meet her afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> she brought a guy. Yeah. So we, we probably. So then two months later, we decided to like, I was, I was seeing some other people, but it was like I was spending more time with her than anyone else. And I was like, you know what? This is, let's try. You know, and so like, uh, and actually on June 9th, that'll be a year since we don't, a year that we hit each other up on Instagram. One of the hardest things for women these days is figuring out how to add value to a relationship when a guy can be with tons of different girls. What was it about her that changed your mind that said, I don't want to be with other girls anymore? I think it was like, just because she was so, she's funny, you know? But she's just so she could be weird, and she doesn't mind being weird. She's very pretty, and then she still allows herself to have silly moments, and it just we just connected. You know, it really was that. You know, I, I some before I I prefer some women to have a little bit more meat on them than she does. So I knew it wasn't just physical. You know what I mean? And it just was, it was something about we had just like a connection that you know we still got we still have today. We're still working on it. You know, she's a very loving woman, and I, that's what I, I enjoy about her. Bill Burr. Bill is one of my favorite comics right now because he is like, you know, he's a rant comic. You know what I mean? And when he gets on one, pfft, there's no, there's no, you just want to hear where he's going to go. He's the quintessential of what I'm saying to be entertaining and also have a point of view. He has that down pat, one of the best in the business. Your proudest moment in show business. My proudest moment in show business is probably still quitting my job and chasing this. And so when I knew that I was a working comedian, I knew that I was like, oh, I'm actually an entertainer. This is my profession. That was my proudest, proudest moment was when that realization came that this is all that I'm doing. I'm an entertainer. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level. I think my big, I think every, everything is a disappointment. You know, it's like it was not not getting parts. You know, not getting passed by Mitzi that first time I showcased. You know, having to work so hard to get spots at the comedy store because Tommy, the door guy, the the you know the the guy was just like you know giving me a bunch of bunch of bunch of hell like you know like oh you're not good enough that kind of stuff. Those those are those are always the the things that moved me. So like you know not getting half hour from Comedy Central when I was on a I, I was on a freaking Comedy Central show uh, their most popular show and I didn't get a half hour for like three or four seasons and not, you know the same the same white guy with beards got got half hours that's how I looked at it I was like no I, it, it, that disappointment fueled me I was like okay I guess I got to be better I guess I have to like be better than everybody I had to, to, to get there so all those disappointments along the way still fuel me today Last question, what advice do you have for the young person growing up in a major town, single parent, and 
has influences, sees things that they want to be, sees comedy or whatever it is, and how do they get to the point to have the kind of career that you have, not just as a stand-up comedian, but then in the middle of your trek of being a stand-up comedian, how do they go forwards with another lane, another muscle, acting, Mm. and make the kind of inroads that you've had in this amazing career of yours? Well, I would say, and I always say this, I say this on everything I always do, I always go, you know, people don't fail in this business, they quit. So my advice is always to work as hard as you can and and take chances. I would tell people, if you, if you want to do whatever you want to do, go out and find out how to do it and do those things. Learn how to do it. Take classes, uh, take workshops, and and don't feel any sort of doubt. And that's only something that you can believe with yourself and whatever you believe in. Because it's easy to do lip service to yourself, to be like somebody says, you know, I can make it. Oh, I know I'm, I'm going to make you know all that lip service. That's just for you and whatever you believe in. You don't have to tell anyone else that because you truly have to believe you can make it, especially in entertainment. Because if I if you told me the odds, if you showed me the numbers that there are this many thousands of comedians trying to be a comedian right now, if you showed me that, and I might have been like, well, I'm never going to do it. But that's how I felt in my early 20s. I didn't think I was going to be able to do it. It wasn't until later that I was like, oh, no, I got to do it. I have to. I know I can do it. And when I knew that I felt that way, I knew that there was nothing that was going to stop me. Eric Griffin. You're a fucking rock star today, man. Amazing. Hey, no, Great uh, Thank stuff. you for having me on. And make sure you, you know, look for me on all my stuff. You know, at Eric Griffin. And I'm on everything, even my video games. I'm at Eric Griffin on, on Xbox. <laughs> but if you're a woman, don't look for him on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, yeah. Ladies, I'm sorry. I'm taken. Don't like his photo. Don't, yeah, don't. I don't even like photos anymore because of that. But truly, I'm so grateful that you came. This was one of the highlights of the podcast that we've done because you have the acting and you have the comedy and very few people, if you notice and if you can walk around the comedy store, if you look at your career in 100% pie mm-hmm. and you look at the money that you make as an artist, it's very rare to find the ones who, if you added it all up, the stand-up and the acting, if you added up the whole career, might be close to equal. Right. And that's something that you're very rare, and it's really great to talk to somebody who has that. Uh, well, you. I appreciate it, and hopefully more, there's hopefully more to come. There will be. Take Thank care, you, sir. Okay, I'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message, and one of these people will be a lucky winner. And they'll get to attend a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions, or else if they're out of town, out of state, or out of the country, we'll Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. Landing on Dr. Gene B., June 15, 2018, Barry Katz rocks five stars. Reads Barry Katz is intelligent and insightful. I learn and gain new insights every time I listen to him. His kind and artful style of interviewing makes it difficult to stop listening. I hope he never stops doing the podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Gene B. I really appreciate it. You are a winner. And that wraps up part two of our podcast. 
I just want to thank my incredible partners, starting with Wondery. Check out their lineup of some of the greatest podcasts in the world at Wondery.com. And AquaTrue, the revolutionary miniaturized countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately it'll turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. Get $100 off when you go to industrystandard.com and type in the promo code Barry. Start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had. And you'll save tons of money a year like I have and never buy another bottle of water again. Also, amazing documentary called I Killed JFK, centering on the only living person in history who ever admitted to killing John F. Kennedy. Go to ikilledjfk.com, buy the film, and you also get the rare interviews with five of the last living JFK assassination experts, and I guarantee you it'll change the way you think of the world. The Air Doctor, the groundbreaking portable air purification system, which will change your home environment and overall life for the better. The Air Doctor instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating through your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for you guys, for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. I got one of these systems, and I'm telling you, it's truly incredible. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your house and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And finally, Boku Superfood, the purest, most potent, and delicious superfood blends on the planet. Certified organic, kosher, and vegan, Boku Superfood is changing the game for thousands of people in 65 countries. And I'm so confident it'll change your life that I worked out an incredible deal with the company. Get a full week's worth of Boku Superfood for free. Just pay the minimal shipping. Go to tryboku.com and experience the difference of how it makes you look and feel. And you will understand why Boku is the number one family-owned superfood company in the world. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. You're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave... 
please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.